Bro, you want to talk about a buzzer beater? <laughs> I made it. Just, you were you you like just were screeching in on two wheels. Like I, Dude, I, I, oh. <laughs> I hella screeched, hella screeched. That was intense. I made it though. I made it. That train really threw me for a loop. Uh, and then I gotta like let the dogs out and stuff. It's uh, such a pain, but. I am so glad Rachel's here so she can hear, uh, they can hear the trials and tribulations I went through to get home early so that we could have this space. Because normally I would be driving, but I said, yeah. not today. Well, Not today, it, not for Rachel. Well, what you're usually doing is you're like driving and, and hosting a show, which may or may not be extremely dangerous or extremely cutting. But as long as you're not holding the phone, hopefully you're just oh, kind of talking. Kids, talking kids out don't forward. try this at home. <laughs> let me tell you. See, it's what a lot of people don't realize the behind the scenes stuff that goes on. Jacob and I are constantly in communication and we're both driving, literally driving. Yes. I, I can't, we're admitting this on a recorded uh, space, by the way. I'm going to pretend that. Let's cut that, cut that. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. All right. Are we ready? Maybe you should call it like the commute. Oh, wait. It is, it called, is the called the tech commute. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's literal. <laughs> it literally is. In your cars. Yeah. That's, See, Ra uh, Rachel knows. Rachel knows. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Ra are Rachel we, gets it. Are we ready? Are you are you ready, Jason, or do you need a few minutes to wipe the table down or whatever you're doing at home? Right I'm gonna now? go ahead and let's just let's just give the proverbial buckle up. Jacob, let's drive this puppy. Yay. I wanna I wanna have like a little sound effect there where there's like a you you know the 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 engine revving and leader of the pack. We should insert that right into that spot. That would be sweet. No, right. you know what I was thinking it was more like the crash test dummies commercials where they do the buckle up. It's like that real like nice ASMR click sound. That's what All right, I need. we'll we'll work on it. We'll work on it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Welcome. This is Tech Commute. Hello, friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Twitter X space where we all learn together, celebrate achievements, and talk to some of the most incredible people like Rachel in tech on the planet. We have live spaces Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3.50 Eastern Standard Time on Mondays and Wednesdays and 8.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time slash 11.30 Eastern Standard Time on Fridays for Friday Wins. Uh, Mondays are our tech topic consisting of a theme and a guest. This week, we talked uh, to the Clerk cr uh, crew uh, about Clerk. And today is Wednesday, our I'm a Developer Ask Me Anything series, where we have the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Rachel Neighbors here. Uh, so please get ready uh, for in a little while to bring your questions up if you have anything for Rachel to answer. On Fridays, uh, we celebrate our wins for the week. Join us this Friday to uh, go over maybe some big accomplishments that happen to you, not only in tech, but in life, uh, and your, some of your struggles, because we like to show that, you know, not everything is all about accomplishments. We want to hear maybe how you got through a struggle and got through it too. Um, but yes, let's go ahead and start the show, dim the lights, throw the drum roll on. I'd like to welcome to the show uh, our special guest today for I'm a Developer, Ask Me Anything, Rachel Neighbors, a, oh, there we go, um, award-winning cartoonist turned web animation advocate slash React developer slash conference speaker slash now a director of uh, developer education and documentation at Clerk. A huge round of applause. Everybody in the uh, in the uh, listener section, please throw some claps for Rachel being here. Uh, we appreciate them being here. Um, but before we go to the questions and before we start at all, I would just like to introduce myself. My name is Jacob Ashley. Uh, 
And let's not forget the host with the most, my dear friend, the guy that likes to clap with his hands above his head, but not in front of his stomach, Jason Torres. Who does, who claps in front of their stomach? That's so just so low. It's so I, low. I don't even get that. I don't even get that. I was that. <laughs> oh, that was confusing to me, Jacob. Thank you so much. And thank you uh, to Rachel for being here. We're very excited to chop into some of these questions that we have for you. But uh, Jacob, I have Blanche outside right now and it's raining. Did you perhaps want to uh, ask Rachel the first question? Let's get most this thing definitely. started. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Rachel, thank you. No, no, it's all good. This, it's it's gonna be, it's like, you know, when you're, you're growing up and they said, we're gonna go to the doctors, you're gonna get a shot, but it's only gonna hurt just for the first few seconds. So that's pretty much the equivalent. You've been on, you've been on your fair share of podcasts. I'm really excited to talk to you because um, I started listening to Code Newbie back in February and I heard your, you know, episode six. Um, I think that was it. Code yeah, Code Newbie. And, you know, recently I heard your your follow up. So I was really excited to hear uh, all your all your journeys and adventures and stuff. But we'll get to that soon. Uh, what I would like to know, and maybe for anybody that maybe isn't familiar with you, um, just a kind of a cliff note, small version on uh, how you got here into tech and, 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 and your story. Okay. Well, thank you for having me up, uh, Jacob, Jason. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here in your space. I appreciate you letting me come in here. I know, Jacob, we met at React Summit New York City. I mean, React Summit US fairly recently, didn't we? But Jason, have we met in person before? Uh, we have not. I did see your presentation not at yet. React Summit, though, and I thought it was amazing. So I look forward to it. Thank you. Hmm. So everybody, uh, hi there, I'm Rachel Neighbors, uh, sometimes called Rachel Lee Neighbors. The Lee is for Leet. I'm kidding. Um, but my friends call me Rachel Lee. I'm from a little farm in the South in Virginia. Uh, well, at least that's where I spent the bulk of my, my years. And I rode the internet out of Southern poverty into a bright and shiny career. Um, I mean, I guess this isn't poverty anymore. I'm doing all right. I live in London now. Um, I got my own visa on my own steam. So no husband and employer re required. And the way that is, is you apply for a global tech talent visa and they look back at the last seven years of work that you've done and you gotta put in a, an essay, you gotta write an essay about how awesome you are, which is super hard if you're a, well, especially if you come from a Nortized background, I don't know if any of you in the audience have ever had to talk yourselves up and you're just like, ah, ah. Oh, let me tell you about all the great things the people I'd work with do. But it was a really good exercise and I have a very useful spreadsheet for feeding into ChatGPT to write resumes for me now. Uh, in the past seven years, I, I've mostly worked at big fine companies. But before that, for many years before that, I loved CSS animations and transitions. When I was making comics and posting them online, I had to build websites to share them, to sell my paraphernalia, to manage my newsletter. And back then we didn't have MailChimp, we didn't have Etsy, you had to go get TinPan PHP and like, uh, oh my God, I don't even remember, OS Commerce, open source commerce, a PHP shopping cart that you would install like, Full stack development was something else back then. I won't tell you how long ago it was, but I was doing these as a kid and I'm still kicking around. I've watched the, uh, I've watched front end development and full stack development change year over year, but I grow more, 
grew more and more into uh, the front of the front end development, interaction design, CSS, and JavaScript. I love taking what I knew from comics and animations and using them to make really cool demos, which got me traveling Europe, which got me moving over to, to London. I've worked with the React Core team and Fang, which was the longest, pardon, React Core team at Meta, which is the longest I've ever spent in big tech. And I also did my time for 13 months each, exactly at uh, Microsoft and Amazon in Seattle. Uh, and I think that's about all of Seattle I can take. I'm happy to be back in, uh, in London, closer to the open source community in Europe. I'm now building cool things and teaching people at Clerk, which is the first startup I've worked at, ooh, I think in uh, 10 years. So um, I'm a little rusty, bear with me. Oh my gosh. I, I loved that story. I, so I'm also outside of react. I'm also familiar with you from your spaces that you've done with Tejas and uh, Nate Emerson. I always loved that. The, the work-life balance or well, I can't remember what the name of the space was called. What is it? Work-life merge. Conflict. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. You guys always the had two branches of your life. They just <laughs> won't merge. Too yeah, many conflicts. Uh, I hear you. They, um, you got, you always had such really insightful themes or like episode content. Uh, I know it was always ending up on my lunch break, but I was able to get quite a bit out of that. So I appreciated that you guys were doing that. Um, you know, as far as your career path, you know, how would you say your artistic background has sort of inspired your journey to where you are now? Well, that's a, a great deep dive. I think it all started with, I was working as a front-end developer. Now, mind you, when I let go of comics, because even an award-winning cartoonist can't make enough money to get jaw surgery in the United States. Sorry, but the state of healthcare for poor people is just not that great over here. I mean, I, I can now speak to um, uh, socialized healthcare, and I will say nobody is dying in Europe. Um, uh, uh, the way they were in my community where people didn't have health insurance for lack of treatment. But I will say that uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to get the treatment you need no matter where you are. And I needed to get some jaw surgery and I had to look at my skills and I was like, well, what do I have that could earn enough or get me some health insurance that could pay for this thing? And well, those sites I was building to sell the comics, it was like I was it was like I was using the golden goose to make scrambled omelets in the morning. And I, and I, it turns out that the thing, the skills I had to build my little tiny empire of 400,000 teenage girls reading my comics every week was actually more valuable than the comics and the audience. Of course, it'd be very different right now, what with influencership, et cetera. But back in these days, I was like the biggest star in comics you'd never heard of as uh, I think one of the now defunct women's comics groups put it. But anyway, so it uh, turned out that I felt really bad when I got into front-end development. It, it felt at that time like the entry salaries were not much better than what you were going to make in my area than if you were working as a waitress. I mean, I was earning enough that I could still hold my head up with pride and go into Target and not bounce checks, but it wasn't that great. It was, I don't even want to tell you what it was. It would make you cry. This is like but they, they, they pay interns better than this. And uh, <clears throat> so I was, 
I, I, I really loved making art with my, my coding skills. And I felt bad that I'd left my readership behind. I felt like I, like I'd, I'd given up on my American dream of becoming a rich and famous cartoonist telling it like it is for teenage girls. So I explored art through code. It was a way of uh, expressing myself. I also didn't realize that web developers got paid more than web designers because we didn't share our salaries very much back then. And people would see my art and they kind of pushed me into like designer type roles. But I got sick of it because I got to tell you, artists don't make great designers. You don't want the client coming in and being like, I want the logo bigger. You know, a designer will be like, okay, when you say that, what do you mean by that? And, you know, they'll kind of like therapeutically talk a client through it. Ideally, ideally, I have met plenty of designers who aren't good at this. But ideally, um, a designer is sort of like a therapist for for commercial art. Helps the helps the person who's making the request for the design uh, say what they need. Try to figure out if it's good or not good for the the goals that they have in mind. If it's in conflict with the end user, etc. And for me, I just feel like I'm not making this logo bigger. It is the right size. You will not ask me to make that logo bigger. Somebody else can do it. Like I say, stubborn as a mule definitely an artist, not a designer. But what I loved about code was that the only time anyone had an opinion about my code, I could objectively reason with them about it. You ever try reasoning with a design client about why this inaccessible shade of gray is the wrong color for their, you know, their landing pages, 11 pixel text? It's, it's a, I don't have the skills for that. But I can sit down and go toe-to-toe and headbutt standards authors for hours about what's the right way to write this CSS. What's the most performant way to um, render an animation? Um, Flexbox versus grids, which is the more powerful spec and when should we switch over to it? And that's where I found my people. Uh, it turns out I really enjoy uh, reasoning about code and uh, building cool things with it. And that's how I got involved with the Web Standards uh, Committee over at the W3C. I was an invited expert, and that opened the doors to working for Microsoft. It only took me like a long time of wandering around uh, giving cool workshops and demos uh, of interactive kind of illustrations uh, that I'd made myself for, for a number of years before that opportunity finally came. I, I love that. I had two important takeaways there. One was the line you said about being therapy therapist for commercial clients. I thought that was really nicely said. I love that analogy. But the other thing, too, is you, you kind of dated yourself a little bit there because you referred to using checks. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I, I like, did. I haven't thought about checks in forever. The last time I thought about checks was like, I saw someone paying with a check at the grocery store and I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about checks. Uh, but yeah, checks. Um, Rachel, I love your I love your story. I come from a very artistic background. I've been drawing forever. Um, I, I, I just love how your website was built. I, I was exploring it the last few days and how you were making uh, these stories mm-hmm. like the Alice in Wonderland and with the scroll and how it changes. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that I really want to look into. I really want to learn. So I would just say like you, you went from this artistic, um, you know, I'm building websites, these really cool in, in interactive websites 
it would I would think that you would go right into UX design maybe, but like you didn't, right? You went into Microsoft, which was not UX design. Well, the truth was I'd done UX design. I had been speaking at their conferences for the longest time. And I guess this is old enough news. I can be upfront about it. But there was a really popular uh, UX conference. And there was a, a bit of a, at this time, codes of conduct were new. And there were a lot of organizers who were just not keen to pick them up for whatever reasons. And I kind of put my foot down and said, I'm not going to come to this conference unless you get a code of conduct. I posted about it. That site of mine, RachelNeighbors.com, by the way, it hasn't been updated since I joined Big Tech. It is like a time capsule of everything I did and was interested in before I, I ended up at Microsoft and Meta and Amazon. And I got to I gotta do something, but I think I'm going to just preserve it under, under glass because it's so pretty. And I love how... Just the, the creative energy I had back then when I was building things, like, what did I do with turning this type upside down? Like, oh, it's so pretty. You can really see the uh, the cartoonist comic layout coming out in there. But anyway, back to the topic. So I put my foot down uh, with this really big deal UX conference one year and said, I'm just not going to come unless you, you don't get a code of conduct. And ever since then, um, UX conferences were, you know, they, they didn't want to have me speak there. Now, maybe it's because my talks got old and nobody wanted to hear them anymore. Or maybe it's because, you know, I got a reputation for being a pushy speaker and having lots of demands. I don't know. But the truth was, after that, um, it was the JavaScript conferences and the front end conferences who kept inviting me. And that's why my career went in that direction more than the UX direction. I love that. I love hearing people come from the creative arts and transitioning into tech and development. I have a filmmaking background and I see a lot of parallels there. And, and I know I've talked about that with Jacob too. And I just met somebody the other day that was a classic pianist and has also transitioned. Now, as far as your time with Microsoft, if we're sort of reflecting on your time there as a program manager, what sort of skills and experiences have you kind of carried forward into some of your more recent positions? I think it was more about what I carried with me into Microsoft. I was working on uh, Microsoft's Edge browser alongside a number of other program managers. And I don't know if anyone in this generation remembers the browsers. Like after IE6, you know, there was this point at which Internet Explorer, Microsoft's baby, was the dominant browser on the market. There had been some competition in the early, early days of, of the internet with something called Netscape. And Netscape had this dream, its founders had this dream where big, bad Microsoft would one day, its, its suite of applications would be replaced by this internet browser that would be able to run any application inside it, right? And of course we look back on that and we go, well, duh. But back then, this scared Microsoft. So Microsoft built Internet Explorer and shipped it first in all of its computers. And this created a bit of monopoly. And this is why now, you know, you have to be given a, a number of choices to pick when you log into operating systems. They can't force feed you their own custom browsers, which Apple currently does with Safari. And that's probably going to turn into a thing soon. Anyway, uh, and so for a long time, Internet Explorer 6, like, because it was the last browser standing from the browser wars, it just stopped being developed. Microsoft went and developed other things. 
And then Firefox came and gave Microsoft a run for its money again. And Firefox became the best browser ever. And Microsoft was like, oh, we better start working on our browser again. But then Google was like, man, we got to make sure that the web is a first class citizen because people use Google to search the web. So they got to have a really good browser. And they built Google Chrome, which I remember was announced with a beautiful full-length comic written by none other than Scott McCloud, author of Understanding Comics, which is an excellent book for anybody who is interested in, um, in learning more about how cartoonists see and think about the world. I also recommend his other book, Reinventing Comics, which was about the future of creation. And I would say it was very prescient. It predicted a lot of what I've been seeing lately. Um, but anyway, they're really big graphic novels. So Google Chrome came along and then suddenly Chrome was in uh, giving Firefox and Google a run, from, I mean, and Microsoft Edge, uh, uh, Internet Explorer, a, a run for their money. And I joined the Edge team, i.e. Uh, Internet Explorer got rebranded as Edge because uh, I think Internet Explorer had a bit of mud on its face uh, since the IE6 days. And that was right around the time that the writing was on the wall. Like, if you can't beat them, join them. And I was really sad about this. I wrote a whole article about the importance of having multiple rendering engines in the browser community because Edge used to run on Edge HTML, and it ran right against the Chrome of the operating system, which meant that it could do things like web VR really fast. And there's a layer of um, abstraction for multi-platform browsers like Firefox and Chrome, and Edge didn't have that problem. But in the end, uh, Microsoft made the decision to switch Edge over to the Chromium engine and scrap Edge HTML. That made me quite sad, but I was on the team I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going into story mode because the truth is- I love it, uh, I love I was, it. <laughs> I was on the community team, but you know, I helped put on Edge the Edge Summit. I advocated for us adopting the, uh, the animations API, but like the thing I remember the most from that time was like sneaking down the hallway and hanging out with Microsoft's really cool rendering engine guys who knew everything about C++ and GPUs and shaders. They were the best. Oh, I-, I... I love that little window into history right there. It's so good. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, um, I would say, can you highlight any, <laughs> you've got all the stories. Uh, can you highlight a specific uh, project from your Microsoft uh, experience that significantly contributed to your professional growth? Dude, this is, no, man, I can't. That, that's why I moved on. It, it wasn't <laughs> professional growth. I, I can't sugarcoat it. Like. There was nothing doing there. Big tech moves super slowly. And well, you know, Edge was in a transitional phase. It was really hard to, to do things. I came in as this person who wanted to really ship an API and it was the wrong time to be shipping APIs. Um, and I felt sad because I couldn't couldn't do the thing I, I joined to do. So I, I left. I went to booking and decided that I'd give being a senior UX designer there in Amsterdam a try. But then I really missed the engineers because remember, I, I loved sneaking down the hall and hanging out with the engineers who built the rendering engine. And I was like, well, dang, I need to find me some really cool engineers again. What can I have in this moment like I did back in comics? What can I do that would be useful uh, and let me hang out with engineers in Europe? 
And that's when I DM Dan Abramov. Now, maybe carry us right into that next chapter. You, you messaged Dan, where did that go? Great, great question. So I was like, Dan, Dan, I'm over here in Amsterdam and I miss, I miss standards. I'm, I'm, I miss the community and I'm, you know, I thought production was going to be cool, but it's not cool. And this is Pearl and I don't want to work with Pearl. And Dan was like, well, hang on a minute. Let's see what we got that we need done over here. And he's like, we're going to, we need to redo our documentation. You want to join as like a developer advocate, documentation engineer hybrid thingy. And I was like, that sounds good. And I got to meet Tom Ocino. They, they you know, made a little special hidey hole for me in the org. And I joined. And I had experience actually contributing to MDN back when I worked on the animation API. So I'd worked with some of like the best technical writers and documentation people in the industry, Mozilla Developer Network, you know, like they were literally, literally writing the book for how to build for the web. And I learned a lot from doing that, of course. And so I'd also been making my own courses for web development and animations. And I saw this as an opportunity an opportunity to bring some skills that I had that the team didn't have. It's got to be an equal trade. You have to bring skills that are needed into any ecosystem you want to place in. But additionally, one of the problems I'd noticed uh, since I left Microsoft was that this is like back in 2017-ish. Uh, I noticed that a lot of the women and, and minoritized folks I knew they were gravitating towards Vue and they were gravitating towards Ember because they had warmer, friendlier communities. Now, when I um, looked at job listings as I was figuring out what I wanted to do next, I realized that all the six-figure jobs had React associated with them. There were no six-figure jobs for Vue or Ember. And I thought to myself, well, that's really bad. If everybody keeps going, um, you know, going gravitating toward places where they feel like they belong, that's creating a limit, a cap to your lifetime's earning potential. That that's going to hurt intergenerational wealth. That's just going to keep making the patterns we already have worse. But how do I make an entire community feel more approachable and friendlier? I was like, well, you can't you can't beat a system that's bigger than you unless you have a bigger system. What if, rather than trying to teach everyone and build a community yourself, you found out what it was that was preventing people from doing those things within their community and then pulled that lever? And so that's why I took the job. Awesome. And so you are now a director of developer education at Clerk, correct? It's a big fancy title, but yes, I am. It's a and startup. So, Everyone has a fancy title. It's like a fancy hats club. You get a very fancy hat. Um, how do you prioritize education uh, and implement it into, into your documentation strategies? Oh, could you say that again? It blipped for me. Oh yeah, no problem. I, um, I was just wondering as the director there, like how do you prioritize education and implement uh, that into your documentation strategy. Okay, all right. 
So getting back, this actually is something I, I realized at React. So a lot of what I did at React was I used my old UX skills. And these are the same skills I actually used a bit at, at Microsoft in the community role, like running the annual React surveys for React and React Native, um, doing user research where I'd sit people down and just watch them use the site and be like, well, why did you click on that? And how would you uh, get started with React if you look at this page? So I'm using all my UX skills and I did a lot of, I learned a lot about how little we know about the people who are learning our technologies. Um, for instance, React Native, I was like, ooh, mobile development people. I've never met any of these people before. They have a lot to teach me. So I went in with a real beginner's mindset there and I asked and I was so surprised because it turned out as I talked to various community members, even though the React Native docs and the team, they, it opened and it says, you know, hey, you're a mobile developer. I mean, wait, hey, you're a React developer. React Native is like React, but it's for your native platform. Not a single person who was using React Native referred to themselves as native developers or native platform. They were like iOS engineer, Android engineer, and they really strongly identified with those words. A lot of them in my, my user research sessions was, you know, they'd say, well, I had to learn JavaScript because I joined this company and they use React Native. So I went to the React Native docs and they said, start with the React docs and the React docs said, start with JavaScript. So then I was on NBN and I'm just listening to this and I'm like, wow, that sounds like shit. Uh, and, but there were a lot of assumptions made by the people developing uh, these libraries about the backgrounds of the people who would eventually be learning them. And so I always come in with this sort of, let's be curious about the the audience, about the learners mindset. And I let people we're trying to reach prioritize the work that we're gonna do. It's really easy to think you know what, oh, you know, this just needs to follow this standard uh, order of priorities. We just need to reorganize all the content around diataxis or something like that. You, when you do that, you don't actually interact with, with the people who are trying to learn. You miss out on a lot. For instance, it's easy to think the people who are using the documentation are just people who are trying to implement the product. You know, like only people who are coming to Clerk stocks must be people who are building with Clerk. But if you think about it, the people who are coming to Clerk stocks include Clerk's very own support crew. They include people who want to teach people about Clerk. The people who loved the old React docs the most, by the way, were people with computer science degrees who had the patience to read through every single page that was ever published there. So they could turn around and teach people for a profit on YouTube. I'm not kidding you. I notice these patterns. They always exist out there and you gotta uncover them to do, do right by the community. But that also means like there's a class of people out there that wants to dive deep, turn around and repackage something and teach other people. You're building docs to teach the teachers too. So it just, you've got to think about all the different people this is serving. And the truth is I can't build a good educational program with docs that aren't up to snuff. So my first order of business anytime I join a team is first, let's get your docs in order because I've seen what happens. When you're building lots of great blog posts and you got great developer advocates and, and a great product, but when people go to your docs and their references are broken and the examples don't run, they don't come back for two years. That is the hard bedrock that you can build uh, many assumptions on. So 
that's my first order of business is always get the docs sorted, especially the references, and then start leveraging teachers in the community. I'm sorry, leverage is a terrible word. I sound like a banker. Um, <clears throat> build relationships with people who love to teach, not just the flagships you see and love on YouTube or Twitter or whatever the hot social media network is. Look for the people who are running meetups. Look for the people who are at schools, elementary schools, as well as academics uh, working at universities, and ask them, what can I do to get this technology that has the potential to change the world into your students' hands? What can I give you? And I, I do believe that I keep working on world-changing products. It's one of my one of my life goals is always work on something that is world changing or work with people who are more excellent than yourself so that you can in turn change the world. Uh, I think I can look back and feel that way. Well, I definitely think you are. And it's, it's great to hear this and hear it out loud uh, because I feel like, you know, you're working hard in the background and not a lot of people see all the, the great things that are, that are out that you're doing. And it's great to hear you, you doing it. So, um, I just wanted to let everybody know, welcome, if you're just now joining us, this is Tech Commute. Uh, we're talking to Rachel Neighbors about, uh, about React and about crazy stories about being a cartoonist and being a project manager and UX design. Um, we're talking about everything. We're talking about their story. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more into it, but we are going to open up the speaker, uh, the listener section. So if you have a question for Rachel, please hit the bottom button to request to speak. Come on up and raise your hand so we know you are ready. Uh, we will get some uh, questions ready for Rachel for you. If you can't talk right now, if you're unable to uh, come up because maybe you're at work or you're just unavailable, you are more than welcome to ask your question down in that bottom right chat corner. We will put it up on the Jumbotron right above us and we'll read your questions to Rachel also. Um, so go ahead and come on. We're going to go ahead and start uh, accepting people up if you are ready. Uh, I do have a question, though, uh, for Rachel. Um, what current trends are are you excited about right now, whether it be in uh, React or in just kind of tech in general? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on three points here while you all get your, your ideas and your questions lined up. Things I'm excited about. I'm specifically not excited about React, um, believe it or not. I, uh, I feel like for me, React kind of jumped the shark. I went there, I, I, made the, I made it easier to understand, and then the paradigm shifted again, and now it's like, oh, dang it. Um, well, I'm not working on that anymore. Uh, good luck with that, Vercel, Next, and React crew. It, it, good luck. Uh, but I think it's actually really nice that the new frameworks that are coming up well, libraries that are coming up are spending a lot of time on documentation. Definite, definitely great to see that the focus is now on people learning, not just on building. I think we've gotten to a point where the paradigms for these different libraries are all very, like they're small trades. They're nothing revolutionary anymore. So they're really going to be competing on adoption uh, and uh, mental models, which I think benefits the developer. Uh, so not excited about React anymore, weirdly enough. It's been done. I learned everything about it. I am getting, well, not everything, but enough. I am getting excited, however, because after six years of not working on the web animation API, the web animation API is now shipping all the stuff I was really excited about six years ago, like 
scrolling timelines and uh, view transitions. Oh my God. I look back on some of the demos I made where I had to like jerry rig things with JavaScript. And I look at these new specs that are out and I'm like, I want to go back into some of my old demos and I want to redo them in modern in the, in the modern APIs that are coming out right now. That's what I'm super pumped about. And let me see. There was a third thing that I'm excited about. Um, ooh, yeah, you know, uh, well, I, I'd be torn between saying uh, something like I'm excited about using something like DITA. That's DITA. It's a it's a fancy way of carving up knowledge into chunks that big places like IBM use. And none of us out here in in open source land are going to ever use this. But when I think about it, I think about using the DITA knowledge formatting technique and then dumping it into a large language model. I'm like, wow, you practically have an educational resource that would write itself according to any question that people would ask it. So that's kind of what I'm excited about right now is how can I make a content lake of information um, that would help people build anything that they want without having to first become an expert at everything uh, in a stack. That is awesome. I, I don't know what makes me think of this, but I envision you right now pacing around like you were at the React Summit conference uh, last week while you're talking to us. I'm seeing it because it's so fresh in my mind because I watched the live stream of that, which was so good. Um, we did have a couple of people come up and I wanted to welcome Nate. Fabulous Nate Emerson. Love Yay. him and his shoulder pads blazer and uh, Dax Dev. So if, uh, if somebody has a question, Nate, love to have you up here. Welcome to the stage. Yeah, go to Dax first. I'm having some issues with the uh, spaces, of course. Oh, the Bluetooth. The Bluetooth. <laughs> All right. We'll see Nate in a second. Dax, Dev, good to see you. Welcome to the stage. Hey, how's it going? I, I understand the pain of getting to connect to spaces. <laughs> um, oh, man. Oh, so, yeah. Well, hey, Rachel. It's been a minute. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing, Dad? I'm actually working on the clerk take home right now. Uh, <laughs> <gasps> yes, it's it's very exciting. But I actually wanted to bring up something that we talked about in our feedback session with clerk. So for you, those of you that don't know, um, I've been in the dev community for a while. And Rachel is actually one of my biggest inspirations um, as a developer. DevRel, building and documentation, they are the reason I got so good at react so quickly. Um, and I recognize that. And then also as another queer person, you know, I just saw them as a leader in tech. When you mentioned this, and we talked a little bit about how you were the person that pushed me into DevRel and really wanting to get into like educating other people and working on resources and these kind of projects, you, uh, you said something that stuck with me and you actually apologized because you felt that like maybe that wasn't the best career and maybe that's not the best way to go. And I wanted to give you kind of a chance to more expand on why you felt that, you know, we talked about sometimes having, you know, bad roles where you get stuck in doing things you don't want to. But, you know, why you felt that maybe being a DevRel isn't for everybody and that kind of a thing. Oh, thanks for giving me the chance to touch on this, Dax. And um, it was I also want to thank you for responding when I asked for some user study sessions uh, with Claire. You, you rose to the occasion. I really appreciate when community members want to take some time to just walk me through their problems or or just snoop around the docks and let me sit on their shoulder and be like, why did you click that? 
<clears throat> but anyway, the uh, this is true. When I was younger, like I wanted to join as a developer advocate so hard into Google and work for the Chrome team, which I think was almost exclusively made of British guys. So I don't think I fit that stereotype. I, I don't think it was going to happen. At one point, many years later, I was like, of course you didn't get to be a developer advocate for that team. You weren't a British guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that explains stuff. Uh, but, you know, now I'm in London. So ha ha, made it anyway. Uh, anyway, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm actually quite happy with my lot because you do see the developer advocates a lot, but sometimes, and I feel especially these days, developer advocates have become faces of closer to the kind of marketing type role that they had back when I started my career. They were called evangelists back then. And then there was a sort of golden era where developer advocates were just people that companies hired to go talk about how to build better developer experiences with each other and other developers. I feel like in the age of influencership, that's swung back around. This also means that I've seen over many hiring and firing cycles that developer advocates, support, and technical writers tend to be the first ones laid off, followed by anybody with a P in their title, like project, product, program managers. And the last people to get laid off are senior software engineers, the SSWs. And at most of the companies I've been at in FANG to startups, the people who get to do whatever they want, whether it's, you know, speaking at conferences, the React team, by the way, was just software engineers, except for like myself or Matt Carroll. And they did fine without developer advocates for years, just software engineers giving talks. You don't have to be a developer advocate to give talks. You can just be a really passionate software engineer. And you can be a software engineer who likes people. That doesn't mean you have to be a project manager. But my whole career, people have been fussing at me that I should be, you know, something that involves people. Oh, my God, you're such a good speaker. Or you should be managing this project. You're so well organized. It's like, no, I, I would like mentorship. I would like to pair code. I would like this. I feel like we see people, as I like to put it, some farmers, they look and they see a horse running, a racehorse running down the road. And they think, man, I got to hitch a plow to that. And that's sort of uh, that's sort of how it feels with developer advocacy. Maybe a, a great personable uh, person who has like woof, amazing a set of soft skills. Um, that's rare. And rather than seeing that as making you a highly competent person, there are going to be people who are going to push you toward roles that are considered nice to have and expendables. And that doesn't work very well for the person who's been pushed in that direction. Uh, I see this happen a lot with minoritized people. And I started to think of these roles as honeypot roles. You know, they're designed, they attract a bunch of people, they make companies look good. See, we've got a great diverse team, et cetera, et cetera. But then as soon as layoffs come, who's the one who's got, getting let go? Who's going to have to reskill for six to 12 months to get a software engineering role? Because there are no developer advocate roles hiring right now. You know, you have to be careful. You really have to think about the direction you want to take your skills and what's the cap, you know, what's the cap? And people will be like, oh, it's not about money. Oh, it's not about, it is. When you are 65 and you're looking at what you have coming in every month versus your neighbor, it really was about money. I know this because I know those people and I've watched them grow old. Um, you do have to think ahead and it, there is no shame 
and choosing to do something you enjoy and having skills to do other things, but sticking to the thing you enjoy because it simply is a better future. Thank you. Mm. Oh, man. Dax, thank you so much for coming up with that question. Thank you so much for joining us up in the speaker. Rachel, thank you for that too. Oh, so good. Um, I just want to remind everybody, this is Tech Commute. We're talking to Rachel Neighbors today. Uh, Rachel is a um, developer, sorry, a director of developer education and documentation at Clerk. Uh, also a uh, web animation advocate, React developer, conference, conference speaker, the whole nine yards. Um, if you have a question for Rachel, this is the final call. We're at the 15 minute warning. If you have one, please come up in the next few minutes. We're going to close those doors um, so we can let the speakers that have questions be able to uh, ask and uh, Rachel be able to answer them in the time allocated. So please come up while you can. This is the final call. Um, oh, so good. Uh, so exciting. Um, Nate, welcome. Hello. Happy. Hey. Uh, hey, Rachel. How you doing? Happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you so much for doing this too. Um, Jason and Jacob, as always, incredible space. And Rachel, love hearing about your experience and your perspectives. Sorry, I keep cutting. No. For as much for as no. much time as Nate spends <laughs> on his setup, it's always the worst. It's literally the worst. This actually brings me back. Oh, did I robot? Brings me back to your guy's spaces where he's always trying to hook up wires. He's like, can you hear me? Rachel, can you hear me? Does this sound good? Can you hear my audio? Nate, can we hear you? Hey, we figured it out by the first month. Did we? Did we really? I think we only ran for a month, Nate. (laughs) That's probably why. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, can you hear me now? Is it okay? Yeah, I think so. If it was roboting, I think it was internet issue, um, which is an entirely different problem. But yeah, so my question, I think, I forget if Jacob took it or if you just ended up expanding into it, but I was kind of going to ask about what upcoming topics or trends you're excited about learning about. Um, and I love the web animation stuff. And I, I think in the back of my head, I kind of knew that too. So anyways, I'm going to pivot it a little bit to be, as you move into this new role with Clerk, what skills not necessarily technical are you excited to be learning and honing as you grow into this new role what do you kind of look for as your biggest growth area in 2024 oh neat bring in the great questions love it uh so things i'm excited about not necessarily tech skills well i'm gonna i'm gonna do my elevator pitch here well I can tell you what I'm excited about in three bullet points. The first thing I'm excited about is learning everything about auth and identity because clerk is in this space and I want to sound like I know everything about this space. I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but it, it's actually really exciting. I like to make sure I'm learning something new in every role I have. I partly joined the React team because I was like, man, I started to learn React. It should not be this hard. If anybody can teach anyone something, it's me. I'm going to go learn it and then I'm going to teach everybody. And that was, you know, fair enough. I learned it. And then I was like, okay, that's enough. That is enough React. Uh, Yeah. So here I'm going to basically do the same thing with security. I was excited to do this when I was at AWS. I learned a lot about how the big scaling systems of cloud work. So I love that I just keep adding to my brain meets and my mental models. It's like, (laughs) 
every job I have, I feel like I'm getting away with something because it's like I'm learning so much and they're paying me for it. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, don't, don't tell my employers that. No, no. The other thing I'm super excited about is growing a team. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I, I moved to AWS was I, I really wanted to grow a team. Unfortunately, the economic situation did not help with that. But Clerk is putting together a, you know, a documentation team and a developer education strategy, et cetera. I would say, like, I mean, you guys talked with the Clerk crew yesterday. I think we're pre we got like some really great educators. Like I'm working with some amazing developer advocates who are great trainers. Um, and I got to be honest, like Clerk, it, it I love that it just lets so many people build their dreams. You don't even have to worry about off like. The training doesn't end at now you've built a to-do list and don't share this URL with anyone or you're going to have a lot of junk in your database and then it's going to be bad and it's a vector for it. It's like, no, no, no. Just wrap it in these components and share it with your friends. <laughs> Let a thousand flowers bloom. I love it. <clears throat> so I'm excited about learning everything about that space and seeing what people build with it. That's exciting. Um, but I'm really excited about uh, growing more into this role where I'm, I'm taking the things that I've learned about teaching people about building APIs that let people build things that people use, all of this weird knowledge that I just regurgitate on command like I've been doing tonight. Thank you for listening. Um, and I, being able to use those lessons and all of those years of therapy to help another generation and become the people who are building the things that you're learning from, help them become their best version of themselves, keep them from getting pushed into key roles if they don't want to do them. You know, if you want to be a software engineer, I'll help you be a software engineer. I won't make you be a tech writer. Um, and I will push you into things that will challenge you. I'm looking forward to this stage of my career where it's not about me getting up on stages and talking about myself, or it can be more about me pushing up some of the people that I, I steward and mentor so that they can tell their stories. And one day they'll be here talking with you and telling you about the time that they worked with this person at Clerk, et cetera. Um, I think there was a third point in there somewhere, but I lost track of it. Yeah, I, I think that was three. Um, what you mentioned just now with AWS unlocked a core memory for me that I'd totally forgotten about. I don't think I ever told you this, but a year before we met at Render, I saw you post something about a position at Amazon because you were building a team, or I think that was beginning. And I remember that was one of the very first documentation or technical writing jobs that I really considered applying to. And I don't think I applied because I, I just I was a developer. I had no experience in docs and stuff. And so I felt like I just wouldn't clear a bar. Um, but that was like one of the very first job postings and opportunities I looked at that wasn't like a pure dev stack, uh, full stack dev job, where I was really excited about it. Um, and so that was part of like meeting you a year later was such a trip. because I was like, Oh, man, I was wishing I could work with Rachel a year ago. And here she is. Yeah, here they it, are. Uh, Sorry. That's all right. Uh, I, I passed as a she for many years in the web development community. And now you all get to call me they I'll be patient. Um, but uh, yeah, I came out as a non-binary back when I came back to the U.S. from London to work at AWS in Seattle. And now that I'm back in London, I've got to correct all of my British friends. So it's a lot of fun. But the uh, 
the the great thing I think about about all of this is that there's so much to learn in each one of these situations. There's such a big difference between how Microsoft works and how Amazon works and how Meta works and how a startup works and how different startup works. And I got to tell you, I've learned that at the end of the day, people are weird. You got to try to learn all about the people. They're the most rewarding puzzles to unlock. And you're a puzzle too. You got to figure yourself out while you're going out there. Um, because a lot of the, the things that are locked up inside yourself, you end up projecting them onto others. And that's where discord comes from, is us projecting our internal unlocked puzzles onto one another. And the most rewarding thing you can do with your lifespan is try to unlock the things that are trapped inside other people. The knowledge trapped inside an engineer, the uh, kindness trapped inside a, a hard-bitten soldier. It's always worth trying to understand and puzzle other people out. Dang, that Man. was a, oh. see. Oh. I look. Here's oh what I God. here's what I had for quotes up there. Right, it says the goosebumps. thing about the farmer's racehorse. Jason goosebumps. I know. I didn't write that one down. I got the farmer's racehorse one. Ah, I, I'm so ashamed of myself right now. <laughs> it was a good one, though. Go back, but oh <laughs> it was a good gosh. one. I will. I'm going to record. I, I did record it. I'm going to listen to it. Um, Nate, great questions. And learning, learning, learning. And now you're in a position where you are are teaching. And that's like the mastery level of learning. You've had to learn enough and understand enough and comprehend enough that you have to sort of res like regurgitate that and develop other people's learning skills on something. I, I, kudos to you for taking that step because I feel like that's, again, like the, the epsilon of learning, if you will, is the ability to be able to teach someone else to do something. So you should be very proud of yourself for, for taking that on. It's quite the task. It is. But it's also a worthy task. Um, I think it's hard to be really great at teaching and really great at engineering. It's like you have to be great at two things at the same time. It takes a lot of a lot of hours, and I always wonder if I'm slipping more on one or the other. Uh, that is, uh, I know I sound super cool up here with all my bomo and everything, but I have fears too. One of mine's always that. If you spend so much time researching users and, and catering to their needs and building for them, uh, when are you building up your own technological excellence? How are you keeping up? There are entire paradigms that are sliding in and out of you while I'm focusing on the details. Uh, while I was focusing on teaching people React, you know, serverless functions and such just completely came in and changed how, how we think about building full, full stack applications. There's always something to be looking at. And I think the important thing, I guess, is to learn how to learn and, and stay, not just get good, but be uh, maintain your, your overall knowledge and proficiency year over year. So you still have something to teach. Mm, love it. Um, Wiz, welcome. Do you have a question for Rachel you'd like to ask? I do, as a matter of fact, and uh, thanks to the host and the co-host for hosting. So I I caught on to the advocacy section that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can tell, the bulk of my own research focuses a lot on advocacy, particularly in the tech space. 
uh, regardless mm-hmm. if it's you know workers or users alike. And I I'm hoping that you could perhaps shine some light on the following question I'm about to ask, and that it's regarding um, machine learning. I'm sure we all know about the news with OpenAI and how everything is AI now, for better or for worse. And in your mind, what constitutes effective inclusivity for workers, founders, and citizens alike as we transition into this era of machine learning? And secondly, how can the technically savvy rectify the shortcomings of tech corporations from the past decade and ensure that the machine learning contributes to the collective good Oh my God, you're asking like major questions here. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer those. Um, The only thing I can think like, how do I put this? The last time we stumbled across something that would have such a big impact on the human race could have been like atomic energy or even um, the combustion engine or the internet. Like I would say these are the, the cornerstones of what makes um, the human race the way it is today. And this is something that's going to change that tomorrow. Oh, firearms were another one. Like Japan actually rejected firearms. The only only nation of people ever to do so when they uh, e- ejected uh, Europeans from their lands. They also ejected the firearm because it completely upended social order that a person with no military training could take out like an elite royal uh, prince who'd been training his entire life like that was um, that was not great and you can see this when you look back throughout humanity's history we keep inventing things that have the potential to wipe us out in the wrong hands it would just spell cat- catastrophe cat- the end for our species you know if if everybody who had murderous intents had the ability to kill a person just by looking at them wrong we wouldn't, we wouldn't survive. Yet we've had that ability for a long time. We've had incre- ever-increasing um, power behind the, that ability. We can get to people faster, for better or for worse. We can have like many suns worth of energy at our command in a matter of seconds with just the press of a button, literally. Um, and yet we still have not annihilated one another. If anything, we've become more, more wary, more tame, more, more domesticated with, within ourselves. We've become a better species for the more pain that we could technically inflict on ourselves. And I have a feeling that AI and machine learning are going to be the same. We look now, like, for instance, misinformation has been a problem for our species forever. And I hear like, oh, it's going to be it's going to be misinformation from here on out for all of us. You know, how will we tell truth from lies, fact from fiction? And yeah, you know, there is a world out there where we can't trust anything, even unless we see it with our own eyes. And we all become paranoid and we retreat from each other and we start fighting. That's that's an existence that could happen. Yet I feel like we're going to surprise ourselves. The other day I was watching a video and somebody on the video said that this, I, I was looking for a computer monitor and I'm looking at online reviews. And I heard the woman's voice say, this computer is perfect for uploading things and um, something, something into the cloud. And I was like, wait a minute, 
that sounds like something a bot would say. That's not a human. And I turned it off and I went to something else. I have a feeling that we won't lose our humanity for these new tools. We'll become even more human because of them, because that's kind of what we've done um, generation over generation. Of course, it's very uncomfortable, but I have faith that we will rise to this special occasion as well. And we'll take this tool for what it is and we will make it our own. And we'll come out better species for it. Maybe the same technologies that can fool us can also be used to test whether or not something is true. I've seen artists create poison uh, with their works that can ruin a model that tries to steal their, their artwork and build things with it. I think it's a different era and it's only the continued the continuation of our advancement towards being a better, a better people. That's my opinion. Um, I can't speak to what we should or should not be doing uh, or the decisions that executive boards make. I do think that private interests in technology will almost always lead to dubious capitalist outcomes. But I also believe that we are a part of that system and not everything capitalism has created immediately was poisoned. Um, sorry, I'm rambling now. I, I did a terrible job of answering your question, um, but it's precisely because I don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes we don't have opinions. We just have, we just have faith in common good and humanity. Yeah, and I appreciate you for taking the time to be that thorough. To be honest, my key takeaways mostly has been that you're part of the sausage sausage making factory. Might as well make the most out of it, and that's good enough as far as I'm concerned. And mm -hmm. for the advocacy part, to be honest, a lot of what I'm thinking of specifically is people that um, are neurotypical. There's this term that I discovered relatively recently, and it turns out there's a bit of a friction between the neurotypical community and the so-called neurodivergent community. And mm. there's countless testimonies of bullying um, and assault and so many other things that particularly women, uh, from what I can tell, suffer from. So I'm hoping that as we transition into this era, we're going to be able to be more lenient towards each other as you know these tools and machines take over previous jobs that perhaps an overwhelmingly bossy person would take and, you know, run as like a tyrant or a narcissist and stuff like that. So thanks for the answer. I like the way you're thinking. Yeah, that was a great question, Liz. Really appreciate you coming up and asking that. Uh, let's go to Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the stage. Hi, guys. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rachel. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, Hi, <laughs> I'm so happy to be listening to this uh, this space. Guys, thank you so much for organizing it. And Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Um, I have a question. Um, everything that has been discussed obviously resonates a lot with me, but particularly the, 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 the part where you were saying, Rachel, that um, people will come to you and say, oh, but you are so good at dealing with people, trying to push you into these other roles instead of like 
giving you the opportunity to maintain membership, like to grow in your craft and to, to become, you know, who you, who you are today. Um, I think there are a lot of us that are sort of in that position. And I just wanted to ask you, what, what do you think are the tools or what sort of like um, mechanisms did you have in place to, to, to hold your backbone to say um, no? <laughs> um, how, how did you manage uh, that? How did you navigate? Obviously, because a, a lot, oftentimes people will come to you with these pr uh, proposals with like the best of their intentions is not to um, take you away from your path or anything. But so how do you how, how did you navigate these conversations? How did you push back, basically? So that's a great question. And I honestly can't say that I've performed it well. For the past couple of jobs, <laughs> I've been like, this time I'm going to be a software engineer for real. And then, you know, big companies come by and been like, would you like more money? And I've been like, to be a software engineer? And they've been like, no, to teach no, people. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, I do like that money. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure if... Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the best here, but I will tell you a couple of tricks I've learned. Number one, when you do have a job of any type, um, look for someone to train under. I'm watching Blue Eye Samurai right now, and I got to tell you, I, I love it. I mean, okay, there's some parts where I'm like, that doesn't seem very culturally like something that would happen in the Edo period, but uh, I've been enjoying it. And one of the things I love is how um, one of the characters learns by watching all these great uh, samurai come to this, their, essentially their, their teacher, who is a sword maker, and they study the great samurai's techniques uh, while they're practicing with the swords that their teacher's making. And so that's the thing you should look for is find a place where there is excellence. And even if people don't see that excellence in you immediately, find the excellent people there who will mentor you and show you their moves, pair code with you, um, a place where the, the group does advent of code together. Find a way where you can get excellent people spending time and energy teaching you their craft. Make it a part of your life. And then advocate for yourself. This is step two. Like number one is get yourself time with people who are better than you are and are kind. Um, anytime you can get. When I was at Meta, I used to do advent of code with some of our um, new software engineers. And I learned so much about data structures in ways that I wouldn't have just from reading the books I was. I enriched my knowledge of programming by actually practicing it with people who had just gotten out of college. So it was fresh in their mind and we started really burning it into each other's circuits together. It was a great example of you know, making sure that you've still got it year over year. But the second thing is, if people keep trying to make you pull the plow, if people keep nudging you towards project management or dropping hints or stuffing that work down your throat, it's okay to go somewhere else. It's okay to be like, this is not what I want to do with my career. You can be upfront and be like, I don't want to be the community manager or the project manager. I appreciate that you see that in me, but I want to do this instead. Um, and then when they don't, if they don't respect that and continue to help you grow, if you find yourself continuing to have to 
pick up after other people's catastrophes, et cetera, or not getting the mentorship that you requested or asked for, that's when you go look at other people's teams or other companies and you go find people who do believe in you. What you do want to look for is like two things in the people that you surround yourself with. People who are better than you, that excellence with a capital E. They don't have to be better than you as in, oh, I'm not worthy of them. They just got to be good at something. Like they got to be good at, you know, using a sword or firing a bow and arrow. Not everything, just something you're not that good at. So you can get better at it just by virtue of being with them and practicing with them and observing them. And you want to look for people who believe in you. People who look at you and go, damn, you're such a racehorse. Not, oh man, I want to make you pull a plow. But people who see the excellence in you and value it, that makes it a lot easier uh, for, for you to get that time, that mentorship and those legs up you're looking for in your career. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rachel. That's just golden. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, everyone. I'll just leave the mic now. <laughs> Holy cow. You brought that full circle with your your racehorse reference too, by the way. I love the callback to that earlier. Nice. And I just started Googling um, my archers in the area that I can try to figure out who to learn that from. So I appreciate that. Great feedback. That was, that was a great question too, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, I feel like an overcoming objectives space would be really good because I feel like that is... That's a hard one. That's a hard one when people are presenting you with opportunities and that can be very hard to say no to sometimes given certain contexts or situations. So I thought that that was a really great response, Rachel. Thank you for that. Uh, Chrissy, last question for Rachel. Go ahead. Oh, um, hey Rachel, I've heard great hey, things about you um, through the astral community and through Twitter. And I know you're big in like the tech writing world. So I was kind of curious on how your time being active, doing, being active in the open source community as a tech writer has helped you gain more paid roles. Because this is something that I'm trying to do. <sighs> okay, let me think about that. How has being active in tech writing gotten me more paid roles? No, more specifically, the open source community. Ah, my activity in the open source community. Well, I think this goes for more than just tech writing. I can tell you this is a hiring manager as well as someone who's been hired. And by the way, thanks for thanks for coming up and uh, and chatting. Um, uh, really appreciate it. So one of the fun things is that. Um, I notice this a lot right now because the layoffs happened and there are a lot of people looking for jobs before the layoffs happened. And now there's still a lot of people looking for jobs and maybe the companies are hiring again, but there's still a lot of people for every job out there. And if you just graduated from college or boot camp and you don't have a lot of experience under your belt, it can be super difficult to get your foot in the door. You know, like a hiring manager looks at your resume and says, well, do they have any experience working on GitHub with a team? Nope, they just graduated from a boot camp. Or nope, they just came out of college. Well, can I see any writing samples of theirs? No, it's all, you know, in a private repo somewhere. Um, you know, it was never shared. So one of the things that I always advise people to do, um, and this is this is actually like the advice that's the best for if you're in a community and you're unemployed, 
I was raised in a community that was like 20% unemployed and that was before the recession. Um, one of the advisements that you'll hear, but it can be hard to follow because usually you're too depressed when you're unemployed to do this, um, is to volunteer. You know, volunteer at your church or your library, but go somewhere and be around people because opportunity happens more for people who are giving back and are connecting with others and are keeping busy um, than it happens for people who are sitting at home. And I don't mean sitting at home lazy. I mean, sitting at home feeling sad because it's, they're scared. Humans are better together. Humans are better when they're partnering together and sharing ideas and they're more likely to find out about opportunities. And they're also going to have a story they can tell. So when you're applying for that job and they're like, well, what have you been doing for the last few months? You can say, well, I wasn't feeling scared in a closet, not gaining any new skills. I was going down to uh, work at the bake sale to keep my uh, fire, uh, my fire department running. And I can tell you about the team that I organized to overhaul the community garden. Like those are skills. Those are those soft skills that are really hard to find. Being able to show how, for instance, you know, one, one time I got asked, you know, like, well, tell me about how you turned a no into a yes. And I told them the story about how I managed to turn a rejected book proposal into an accepted one. Like these are stories. You know, opportunities all come around the stories that you tell and the stories you want to tell are usually about stories, stories of how you worked with other people, not necessarily about how you, you know, like we can test for leak code, but we can't test for are you a decent person who can work in another team's workflow, even though you're unfamiliar with it? Can you pick it up quickly? Can you learn fast? So open source is a great, it's like the digital community garden or the digital church break, bake sale or the digital um, volunteer center. You go, you find a tool you love or spec you love, and you say, you don't, you know, go on YouTube and start trying to cultivate an audience. You could do that, but I'll be honest, cultivating an audience will only get you a job as a developer advocate. What you want to do is you want to go find the people who are building something, not a popular thing. You don't want to be the, like, the person who keeps throwing themselves at the popular kid who's getting all the invitations to prom. What you want to do is you want to find a project you like that is a little to the side. Maybe there's only one person running it. Maybe there's only one person tending to it or keeping it going. And you want to say to that person, I really like your project. Um, I have these skills. Is there anything I can do? And they're probably going to shuffle around a bit and be like, well, uh, I really can only do this all myself. I don't know. And then you say to them something like, yeah, but what about your site or your docs or something? I'm happy to help. Like, surely you've got like a change log or some release notes or something. I could set us up a Twitter. I could, you know, like list off all the things you know how to do that you've done before and find something that they could benefit from and start doing it with them. And that's the way that you ultimately can um, transition that work into paying work is simply by by doing it. And there is this, this conception that open source is mostly the, the wealthy person's hobby because who else would have all this spare time? But I gotta be honest, with all these layoffs, there's a lot of spare time going around. And what better thing to do with that lifespan since you're not getting paid for it anyway than to come together on something you love with other people who love it and make it even better. At least you can have a good story to tell about that time. Thanks.
Holy cow, you tell such great stories. I could listen all day, but alas, we only had you for like an hour today. So I wanted to ask you one last question. Thank you so much for being here. What does success look like to Rachel neighbors? Rachel Lee neighbors. What does success look like to me? Uh, I think I got it. I feel like I have a home. I'm really happy when a conference is over and I'm going home. I have friends and I get to laugh at cute fat pigeons every day. I think that this is pretty good. I've got hot water and I've got hot tea and I got people like you who will listen to me. I appreciate that and I appreciate you. Uh, well, we appreciate you and we appreciate all the morbidly obese pigeons you get to laugh at. That is, <laughs> that's actually, man, it's, it's probably actually a problem they should look into. Why are they so fat? I don't, I don't understand. That's for the next time I'm on your that, show. We'll talk about the, next, the pigeon obesity the epidemic. One. Wow. We hope you come back. That would be fantastic. Um, we always do an opportunity at the end here for some closing thoughts and any any plugs of anywhere we're going to be able to see you anytime soon or anything like that. Go ahead. Well, if you want to come hang out in London, I'm going to be at um, London JS and React uh, React JS Girls here in London. Uh, in the next week. So I hope you'll come out and we can high five. I have a bunch of conferences coming up next year, but I haven't spoken about what exact dates they are yet. So I'm sorry, I can't plug those immediately. Um, but I, you know, if you're over in the UK or whatnot, say hello. I'm always happy to make a new friend. And I'm a bit new to this, this post-pandemic world here. So thank you very much for having me. It's been a, a delight to have, to have you, uh, all of you up on stage chatting. Nate, it was great to see you again. Chrissy, Dax, always a pleasure. Michelle, good to make your acquaintance. And Jacob and Jason, uh, really appreciate the opportunity you, you gave me to come share your space. Hmm. What a, what a, what a great, I'm sitting here in my truck right now. I'm at work. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and I'm just love, I love this. Thank you so much. It's been an honor having you on, Rachel. Uh, I'm I'm going to take so much away from this. And I hope that we can send you a new Tech Commute sticker. We just got a whole batch of them in. And we're sending limited edition ones out to each of our uh, each of our guests. So I'd love to send you one. I'll uh, hit you up in the DM to get a little address to send it to you um, here shortly. But we're very excited uh, that you that you spent your time all the way out in London to come say hi to us. Uh, we appreciate it. I have one quick, t I, I never do this, but I have to do this, Jason. I'm sorry. I forgot to ask this earlier. Real quick, just a, a 10 second answer. What's your favorite London food right now? <laughs> My favorite London food, believe it or not, it's Japanese curry, which is actually something that the Japanese picked up uh, by route of the English. Uh, in World War One, the English brought their version of curry from India to uh, Japan uh, during uh, naval maneuvers, and Japan turned it into the delightful golden curry blocks that I can make in my instant pot today. And I'm loving it. It's like all my favorite things in one pot. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to research that because I gotta know. That's so good. Um, but yes, thank you to everybody that that came today. Of of course, a huge thank you to Rachel Neighbors. If you haven't already, click on their face, give them a follow, and don't forget to check out the 
almost archived rachelneighbors.com. It's wonderful. It's delightful. Check out those animation websites. They're super cool. Uh, but don't forget to give them a follow uh, and, and support. You guys heard a lot of knowledge today. I hope that you got something out of it because I sure did. I know Jason did. So if you found value in today's space, don't forget to give the speakers a follow. Uh, next episode, it's going to be Friday wins. So don't forget to join us. We're doing a little early on Fridays. Of course, we're doing 1130 Eastern Standard Time slash 830 Pacific Standard Time AM. Uh, if you want to share your wins for the week, I know we'll be talking about Clerk Week uh, and how much of a success it was for us. Uh, thanks to the team there. Uh, we appreciate all the speakers coming up and asking questions. Thank you so much to Nate and Chrissy, Michelle and Dax for coming up. We appreciate you uh, coming up. But what a great, great episode. Jason, back to you. Hey, man, that was that was so fun. Rachel, amazing. Thank you so much for coming in and just sharing uh, life and tech with us. Hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully we didn't scare you off. Appreciate you being here. Uh, I did. Uh, Jacob, I did want to kind of tease next week because I see one of Do our it. I Do see it. one of our people in the room. Layla will be with us Wednesday next week. And then we have Cassandra Sanchez, CSS artist on Monday. That's going to be a fun week. Hopefully Layla remembers she's laughing. That's never a good sign. But Rachel, thank you again so much. Thanks everybody that's in here. Hopefully you got something out of this. I know I did. I know Jacob did. I appreciate all of you building a community here. And that's, that's the whole purpose of this. So take something and teach somebody something. Just take it with you, communicate it, share it and reach out, engage with people. That's so important. I love that. Um, I'm going to go make dinner for me and Jack. The dogs are eating right now. Going to have a nice chill night. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to find a horse to pull your plow. Good night, everybody. Good night.